0: Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Good morning. morning. Let me get set up here, all right. Before I begin, um, I want to tell you something uh, this text was not an easy text to prepare for. It was very difficult. It was um, something that I would not describe as a pleasant experience. Is this all right? Are we all right? Okay. All right. Um, and the reason why is because Jesus says some hard words. We're going to be in Luke chapter 13, verses 22-22 to 35 if you wanna turn there. Jesus says some hard words. And in order for me to be faithful to God's word here, I'm going to have to do a few things and I've already had to do some things. Um, The thing that I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to go after some of your idols, some of the things that you are tempted to worship. And I wanna be clear, I'm not talking about the idols that the world is tempted to worship, I am talking about your idols, the things that you are tempted to bow down to as someone who claims faith in Jesus Christ. And I also, the reason, another reason why this was difficult to prepare for was simply I, I had to think about hell a lot. But not only did I have to think about hell a lot, I had to think about people who are going to hell And I even had to take a step back and reflect and and not assume for a moment, at least, I had to ask myself the question, Alex, are you going to hell when you die? And I don't say this lightly. I say this with soberness. I believe that I am going to heaven when I die. But I also had to think about you I've had to think about you and I had to ask the question, are you going to hell when you die, or are you going to heaven? Now, I won't know the answer to that. God knows the answers, but that is the weightiness of, of what I have, I've had to experience going through the preparation of this sermon. And so I, I want to pray, and I want you to pray with me over a few things. And I have a request from all of you so I wanna pray, I'm going to pray that if there is a spirit of suspicion in this room, that it would depart from us immediately. And please pray that with me. Um, and the other thing the other thing I wanna request is that you would give me the benefit of the doubt if there is something that you hear. And what do I mean by that? I simply mean this, um, I believe wholeheartedly that salvation is a gift from God that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, it is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I believe that with my whole heart. But as I am going after some of your idols or potential idols, you may be tempted to think, does Alex really believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone? And yes, I do. Okay, so let's pray and then we'll dive into the text and move on from there. <clears throat> Father in heaven, be with us today. Holy Spirit, lead us. We pray that any spirit of suspicion, any, any negative spirit that, that, that from the devil may be departed from here right now. Um, that this room would be filled with love, that it would be filled with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit as we hear the hard words that Jesus said that is very much applicable to us today. Let our hearts be soft, preach through me, um, and let us love truth. Let us love the truth of your word and cherish that above everything else. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We pray this in Jesus' name. So I had to think a lot about hell. I already said that. Um, and who is going there? It wasn't a pleasant, spirit, uh, a pleasant experience, but the text required it. And I'm going to return to this in, in, a, in a few minutes here, but I do want to give you an encouragement as we make our way through Luke 13. And actually, you know what? How about I read the passage first and then we'll get into this? So, Luke 13, verses 22 through 35. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, "'Lord, will those who are saved be few?' And he said to them, "'Strive to enter through the narrow door, "'for many, I tell you, will seek to enter "'and will not be able. "'When once the master of the house has risen "'and shut the door, "'and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, "'saying, Lord, open to us, "'then he will answer you, And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some, who are, some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is God's word and it is eternally true. So again, the encouragement I have for you as we go through this passage here, it starts with the first few verses. Verse 23, and someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And we don't know who this person is. I would assume that it's a Jewish man and that this is a Jewish person who believed that the gate, that the door was wide. Because why wouldn't he? Because we're God's people. You know, we are the ones who will receive the inheritance. The gate, at least for us, the nation of Israel, we, for us, the gate, the door is wide. And I have a, a, a Jewish teaching that put up on the screen here. Um, and this is something that they would have all known, that they would have all heard and believed. This is no this is not from the bible uh, but this is something that they were taught and it says all of the jewish people even sinners and those who are liable liable to be executed with a court imposed death penalty have a share in the world to come all jewish people including those who are liable to the death penalty they have a share in the world to come now if it goes further to list some exceptions i'm not i'm just for the sake of time not going to get into those exceptions but It said, you know, the gate, the door is wide for them. At least that's what they believe. Um, As it is stated, and your people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, for my name to be glorified. And so this is the context in which Jesus is working. He is speaking to a people who by and large believe that they and their friends and their family members all have an inheritance in the world to come. And yet, he's hearing Jesus teach, and he's growing more and more nervous, more and more concerned, this person asking, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And, um, and he's hearing things like what we see in Luke 9, uh, which is just a few chapters before this, which chronologically, just not too far, he probably heard these words, or something like it. You know, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself?" So he's hearing these words and he's getting nervous, this person asking this question, so he has to ask. He has to ask, Jesus, wait a second, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And does Jesus actually answer the question? I mean, he kind of does, right? I mean, he says, no, it's not wide. This is a narrow door. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. But if you're understanding what this person is concerned about, he wants to know the number. He wants to know, Lord, how many are being saved? And does Jesus know how many? Does he know the names, every name that is written in the book of life? Yes, he does. He knows the number, but he doesn't give this person the answer that he's looking for. He doesn't say the number. He says, essentially, do not worry about the number. Do not worry about how many, worry about yourself. You strive to enter through the narrow door, because many will seek it, but few will enter. And that's my encouragement to you right now. Do not think about the number. You're going to be tempted to think, is it one in two, one in 10, one in 100, one in a 1,000? Do not think about the number, think about yourself. Strive, strive to enter the narrow door. And so like I said, what, what we really need to, to understand here in this passage, who is Jesus speaking to? Who is he speaking to? Because um, it's, just, it's essential for us to know that. And so I've been thinking about this, Like I mean, I've had to think who is going to hell, who is going to be shut out of the door when it closes, which it will close one day. And for, to, to help understand the context a little bit more of this passage, I, I, I had to think about, I, I put it in three different groups of people who will be shut out one day um, and the first group is quite simply those who deny Jesus, have no connection with Jesus. Maybe they believe in a false God or they believe in no God at all. And we know the Bible, what the Bible, it's clear, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When someone first shared that verse with me my freshman year of college, I was scandalized by that because I thought, what about, what about all, the, all those good people? You know, and, and over time, I came to realize what it says in Psalm 14, Psalm 53, Romans 3. No one is good except God alone. The real scandal is not that so few would be saved, but that any of us would be saved at all. The scandal is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. And as I came to realize that, that's when, it, when I, it's like, all right, it's in the Bible. It's in God's word. This is me as a non-Christian. You know, it's in god's word it, if somebody needs to change it's not it's not the word of god it's me and that that was what opened the door for me to come to christ but these people in this group whatever you want to call it if they do not repent of their unbelief the door will be shut to them they will spend eternity in hell second group those who claim jesus believe in a god that they would call jesus but their view of him is distorted in some way. Perhaps they don't believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Perhaps they deny the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perhaps they deny the deity of, of Jesus himself or the deity of the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is, they believe in a God that they call Jesus, but that God is not Jesus, and the door is shut to them. But then this third group, and perhaps the scariest one for me, is those who could give all the right answers. They could say, I know what John 14, 6 says, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. They can ask you, they could give a testimony even of how they became Christians, and yet the door is shut to some of them. And that's where I wanna say this passage is directed to all of us. It's not really to that first group. It's to those who claim to be the people of God. So what is it what is true about these people in this passage at least who are being shut out of the of the narrow door? Verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, "Lord, open to us." Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Go. So verse 25, these, some of these people who are left out the door, they, they will know conceptually who the master is. They call him Lord. They know he is God. They know that there are people in there and they are shut out. But even scarier than that, they, they think that some kind of mistake has been made. So they knock. They call out. Lord, open to us, we should be in there, but we're not, what is going on? And they're confused, and they think they should be in, but they're not, and they're not getting in, they are shut out of the narrow door. Verse, t- verse 26, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. Some who dined with Jesus and heard his teachings will also be shut out. And in verse 27, be called workers of evil. Now this has, this verse 26, that has a very specific contextual moment here where Jesus is literally speaking to people who have dined with him and who have heard his teachings in that moment are hearing his teachings. And he says, some of you will be shut out, but does that not apply to us today? Do we not dine in his presence every week at this church? Do we not hear his teaching every week at this church? And I am telling you, some who have come through those doors and have sat in your seats who have died in his presence, who have heard his teaching, they will be shut out. And I'm going to say it, it is very likely that today, there are some who have walked through this door, who are sitting in your seats, who if your soul is required of you now, you will be shut out. What else is true of those who who will be shut out? Let me take a detour. Matthew 7, it talks about things that are, are very similar. Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So here's what's true of some who will be shut out of the narrow door. Some who call him Lord will not enter. Some who prophesy in his name will not enter. Some who cast out demons and do many mighty works in his name, they will not enter, some. And you might be asking like, Alex, how could that be? How could some who even, they cast out demons, not enter? Well, I I have a couple of thoughts. I I hold these very loosely. I could be convinced in other directions, but one, possibly it's that they were deceived and that they never actually did cast out demons or do those mighty works. But the second, the one that I I really do believe is um, that these people at least, The the name of Jesus is, is that powerful that some could call on his name and Jesus could do the work to cast out demons. But whatever the case may be, he never knew them. I got into a debate, a friendly debate with a friend of mine. This friend believes that once you are truly saved, you can lose your salvation. I do not believe that. I believe that once you are truly saved, you will not, you will persevere to the end. And this friend, to confirm what he believes that you can lose your salvation, he brought up Matthew 7. Many who called me, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I, My response was, well, yeah, there are many who say, who call Jesus Lord. But then he brought up his kind of trump card, you know, that's what he thought at least. That people who cast out demons, and so he thinks, all right, these people were once believers, but then they weren't, and the door got shut to them, but listen to what Jesus says to them. He says, I never knew you. It doesn't say, I knew you once, and now I don't know you. I never knew you, and here's the terrifying thing. Some of you might need to hear this. Um, verse 28 In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Um, If your soul was required of you tomorrow, some of you, maybe, and you are in your current state, the fact that you will have been this close to entering through the narrow gate will be unbearable to you as you are tormented for eternity. There will be other things that are unbearable, but the fact that you will have been this close, that alone will be unbearable. So strive, strive to enter through the narrow gate. And my prayer for us today, right now, let us not suffer, CTK, the same fate as Jerusalem. Let us not suffer their same fate. They thought the gate was narrow, the door was, the, was wide, excuse me, but it was much narrower than they thought. Let me read the rest of the, of the chapter, verses 31 to 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. I'm not gonna talk about Herod at all, just for, for the sake of time. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons, and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. Jesus, in this verse at least, is being sarcastic, and that's okay, read the end of Job. God was very sarcastic to Job, it's okay. Jesus, there, notice the hint of sarcasm here. Um, For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. It's like, That's where I gotta go to die because that's where they kill the prophets. And that's that's the sarcasm of someone who is about to give this great lament over a people he loves. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. Let us not be like Jerusalem." And I I am talking now and over many generations, CTK, Oak Tree Church, let it never be 50 years from now, 100 years from now, that this would be the same thing said of us. We see a similar lament from Paul in Romans 9, I am speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. What is Paul talking about with this great sorrow, this unceasing anguish? He's talking about his friends and his family members, people he grew up with, people he loves, who have by and large rejected Jesus, and he knows their fate. And so that gives him great sorrow Unceasing anguish, similar lament here. If you think about this lament, I mean, think about the millions of people in Israel at this time, those who would claim to have been God's people. How many became, how many entered through the narrow door, hundreds? I mean, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to 500 out of millions. The day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, 120. So out of millions, a remnant was, was saved, hundreds. But by and large, their house was forsaken. So as I'm standing here and thinking about how we can be assured That we are not forsaken like Jerusalem. I want to go back to the first verses of this passage. That is the theme of the whole thing. But I want to ask also, what what are our blind spots? Where where they were blind? Do we have we our eyes? I trust we our eyes have been they've been opened. Um, But do we have anything that that we just need to be made aware of? And and I, I would say yes. There are things, and so I'm gonna use some words interchangeably, I pretty much mean the same thing when I say the American church or modern evangelicalism or something that J.I. Packer, a faithful teacher for many years who recently departed to be with the Lord, um, he calls the new gospel. So, the American church, modern evangelicalism, the new gospel, what is this new gospel that J.I. Packer is talking about? Is that this new hip thing? No. No, it's not. It is in contrast to what he calls the old gospel. He calls the new gospel a set of half truths that masquerade themselves as the truth. And he contrasts that with the old gospel, the old gospel that preaches the miracle of regeneration the miracle of dead people being brought to life, of children of wrath being transformed into children of the promise of enemies of God becoming friends of God, this new gospel takes the tried and true old gospel, packages it up, and turns it into some kind of consumeristic transaction, which is why I would call it you know, the American church, because it's about 150 years old. Started in the late 1800s. And you may be familiar, what I would call this new gospel is that it is a sickness that has spread far and wide among people in the church, and to an extent, maybe in varying degrees, in some of us, in many of us even. This new gospel, which emphasizes things like the altar call, or the sinner's prayer. Now I wanna be clear about something, is that a bad thing, is it, is it a bad thing to share the gospel with somebody and then to call them to, to pray a prayer to ask Jesus to be their Lord and Savior? By no means, by no means, call people to Christ. Continue to do that, pray with them. But here's what we've done with that, and, and, and I, I am speaking from a great deal of experience. I was birthed and raised deep within this new gospel to where I would share gospel tracks with people. You know, I, I went on missions trips and shared the gospel. I shared the gospel with people in my fraternity, and that's not, that's a good thing. Um, but we'd get through the track, we'd get to the prayer, some would pray the prayer, and then I would lie to them. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of you have told the same lie. And so what what is this lie? It is you pray, they, they pray this prayer, ask Jesus into their hearts, and I would tell them, I would declare, now you can be 100% sure that you are going to heaven. I lied. If you have said those same words, you lied. Am I being too harsh? Let me say it in the softest way that I can say that my conscience will allow, you did them a terrible disservice. Why? Because There is a word in this passage that serves as a slap in the face to this new gospel that has been created. Do you know the word? I've said it several times already. That word is strive, strive to enter through the narrow gate. What was I doing? When I was telling people, and I'm talking about people in that moment who prayed a prayer to ask Jesus into their hearts, what was I doing when I said, you can be 100% sure that you're going to heaven? I was essentially saying to them, you don't have to worry about striving. But Jesus says, strive. And if I pray, that you have many opportunities, I have many opportunities to bring people to that same point. If and when that time comes again, I'm not gonna tell them, now you can be 100% sure, I'm going to encourage them, to implore them to strive. And you must do the same. And that's, What I'm saying to all of you as well, you strive, strive to enter the narrow door. So how do you strive? How do you strive? You know, I've been wondering about this. Maybe I shouldn't answer. Maybe a part of striving is figuring out how to strive, but I'm going to give you three words, this may sound cliche, I'm sorry. Know, love, and obey. I mean, that, that's, really, that's really it. Um, and I might add a fourth word, and that word is examine. Examine yourselves to see if you are truly in the faith. Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. So, no love, obey. And I especially want to emphasize today the, the no, no God. Let me read something. I, I didn't know which direction I was going to go before the service. I'm going to read something. It's not on the screen here, but it's from a book called Dynamics of Spiritual Life. It was written in 1979 by a man named Richard Lovelace. And he says this, by the end of the 19th century, the whole church was drifting quietly toward Marcionism. Marcion was a heretic in in the second century who cut out all the Old Testament and even much of the New Testament because you know, God was too harsh in the Old Testament and he's more pleasant in the New Testament. And to that I say, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same God, he is the same God. But the whole church has been drifting quietly toward Marcionism avoiding the biblical portrait of a sovereign and holy God who is angry with the wicked every day and whose anger remains upon those who will not receive his son. Walling off this image into an unvisited corner of its consciousness, the church substituted a new God, this new gospel, who was the projection of grandmotherly kindness mixed with gentleness, And I did not intend on, and winsomeness of a Jesus who hardly needed to die for our sins. So here's what we have done. This new gospel, modern evangelicalism. God is our father. But we have turned him into our grandmother. Now don't get me wrong. Grandmothers are wonderful, but God is our father, not our grandmother. So strive to enter through the narrow gate. I do want to say one more thing to you. I want to say this. The the door is still open. Do not despair. I, I don't want to tempt you in that direction. Do not despair. Strive. Strive to enter through the narrow door. It is still open. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would strive. Yes, the door is narrow. But you have given us the means. You have given us your Son. You have given us the Holy Spirit. Let us come to you. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you does not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. He will keep you from evil. He will keep your life. He will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. Let us strive, let us come to you and come to you for help because you are our keeper. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.